0: from Washington D.C. and around the world. This is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Air Force will study the future mix of the tactical fleet in a collaboration with the Office of Cost Assessment and Program Evaluation. Air Force Chief of Staff General C.Q. Brown says the results of the study will likely show up in the force's FY 2023 budget request. Breaking defense reports one part of the study will be a design for a replacement for the F-16. About a third of military personnel the services have offered COVID vaccines to have turned them down. The Vice Director of Operations for the Joint Chiefs, Air Force Major General Jeff Taliaferro, says about 147,000 service members have received both shots. USNI News reports Taliaferro says the forces will continue education campaigns to convince troops to take the shots. The General Services Administration will give contracting officers templates for including CMMC language in contracts. GSA's Keith Nakasoni says the agency's writing order guides for COs. FCW reports Nakasoni says the agency will incorporate the cyber requirements at the order level. More than half of the $65 billion the Defense Department spent on major defense acquisition programs went to fixed-price incentive contracts. The Government Accountability Office says the Pentagon can do more to track whether these contracts actually curb spending. Bill Russell Director of Contracting and National Security Acquisition Issues at GAO. Bill, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Uh, what exactly did you look at in analyzing these fixed-price incentive contracts?
1: We really went back and focused on DOD major defense acquisition programs. There were about 101 um, where they had actually used some sort of fixed price incentive contract over the last 10-year period. And so what we did is is took a look at those trends over time and found that, um, as DOD had suggested back in uh, 2010 with some of the Better Buying Power initiatives, uh, acquisition programs started to use fixed price incentive contracts. Um, at a greater amount. So it ended up accounting for almost half of the uh, contract spending in fiscal year
0: 2019. What was the goal of that originally? And how did that uh, how did the, the actual execution bear out in the way that you analyzed them, Bill?
1: The goal is really uh, to look for situations where you
0: could save
1: money, achieve cost efficiencies, um, and have a better arrangement between the government and Uh, contractors. Um, In essence, where there are cost overruns that the the contractor and the government would um, share those expenses. And then when there were cost savings, the contractor could potentially uh, earn a higher profit and and DOD would save money.
0: So you write in this work, Bill, DOD has not assessed the extent to which the use of FPI contracts contributed to achieving desired cost schedule, performance outcomes. What would you like to see in the, in the way that they do that? Do you have a particular way that you would like to see them do that in mind, or is it just the fact that it's not happening at all and it should happen in some form?
1: We uh, think DOD should assess it in some form, but in particular we point out um, some of the unique mechanisms of a fixed price incentive contract, things like um, share lines, the target prices, and there's data that the contracting officers are considering as they um, monitor individual contracts. And what we'd like to see is DOD to take a more holistic approach, look at that those efforts in the aggregate and see if there are um, potential practices that should be emulated and other things that um, were a good idea at the time, but maybe don't work so well in practice.
0: And it, is the goal getting at whether uh, the the growing use of FPIs is a good idea or not, or is just the goal to understand um, uh, where the good fit is and where the good fit is not. I think both. You know, DOD
1: has been running this experiment since 2010. So, um, take a look at the um, outcomes where those are available and see what's working and what's not, and then um, maintain what programs are doing that seems to work well, and and relook at
0: things that. Uh, potentially didn't work as well. When you started to look at this uh, work, did you find the data that you needed? Is the Pentagon doing a pretty decent job of making that data available internally and and to an external organization like yours? Right. The
1: the data is available. We we looked at individual contracts. We talked to the contracting officers uh, associated with some of these programs. I think the issue is there there isn't a an effort yet at the OSD level to really collect it across the military departments and, and look at a broad level at some of the desired
0: outcomes and whether those were achieved. I note that you looked at a couple of different things here. You looked, uh, it says here, at uh, six FPIs, fixed price incentive contracts, and six firm fixed price contracts. Did you find any differences in the way that the department was executing on, on those two different types of contracts, Bill? So
1: it was a range of outcomes. You know, sometimes there were cost overruns, as you might expect for some of these major acquisition programs. There were a few instances of uh, cost savings. Um, the real unique part is is the um, to the extent that programs are using these fixed price incentive contracts, especially coming out of the later stages of development and the early stages of production, where you're you know starting to do um, some initial lots of production. Um, what's working there, what's not. And that's where um, at individual contracts, there are data points to look at, but step back, look across the department and uh, take a more holistic assessment of of what's working.
0: Um, You mentioned that uh, your recommendation and and described it. How will you go back and analyze uh, whether they went back and and closed this recommendation to the uh, the degree that you would like to see them do so? Sure. Well, first, it was, it was good that DOD did
1: concur with our recommendation to do this assessment. And what we'll be looking for is the, the data collected, the breadth of that information, and are, are they getting at some of the key elements in fixed-price incentive contracts that we pointed out, such as um, what the share line was, what the ceiling price might be, the target costs, and then whether those desired incentives had the effect we- that um, they, they expected.
0: We have about a minute left, Bill. Um, What else should people know about the work that you did here?
1: I think this was a a, a really broad review. We had 10 years worth of data, which we often don't have the ability to look at. Um, And you definitely see a trend that folks in the the military departments listened to the direction uh, in those better buying power memos and applied uh, fixed price incentive content, a range of acquisition programs. Um, there's a lot of good data. DOD has run this experiment now for uh, more than a decade, and there are real opportunities to um, cement the practices that are working really well and to relook some of the other things that that didn't work as well.
0: Bill Russell, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank you for, being, th- thanks for having me. You can find a link to that GAO report at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next keeping the Defense Department's cloud safe. Straight ahead on Government Matters, two big Pentagon programs get a skeptical eye. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. of the biggest i.t programs in operation at the pentagon may have cyber survivability issues according to the office of operational test and evaluation the office's annual report cites the defense enterprise office solution and the joint regional security stacks programs in particular bob bigman's founder of 2B secure former chief information security officer at the central intelligence agency bob i've been around a long time i'm no expert but I'm not sure I've heard the term cyber survivability before, what's that mean?
2: So it's a relatively new term, but the idea is um, since cyber availability didn't work and cyber resiliency didn't work, let's go with cyber survivability. And the idea is that you have ability, basically if you have an incident, you know, God forbid, like a solar winds type incident that you have the ability to maintain availability
0: of your services per- network and uh, performance of your applications. As you look through the uh, work that the office did here and their comments about not just DIOS and JRSS, but o- overall, does this look to you like this is a mild concern just because it's a cloud solution and it's a dot mill environment, or does it look to you like there's more than that, more to it than that?
2: Yeah, I yeah I, I think there's less here than you know th- God love DOD. I I think it's a wonderful organization with great people, and uh, I'm proud to be a member of the the country that they're they're, um, defending. They don't do cloud very well. (laughs) And and frankly, it just seems to me that they're having a terrible struggle, be it JEDI, be it DSOS, whatever it is, that they can't get their hands around how to get there, how to deliver it, how to service it, how to secure it. Um, I, I, I think they're doing a reasonable job um again you have a lot of different partners a lot of people in the you know a lot of cooks in this kitchen coming up with their own way of looking at it you know this is cha- this is about change okay we're changing the way we do compute from local to cloud it's going to be difficult for very very big organizations and this is the biggest and now we're seeing that actually in action we're seeing this happen um but i you know, i God love them, I, th- I think. Give them another two, three years, and I think we'll have some cloud computing across uh,
0: all of DOD. So is this, it, it sounds like you're saying this is so difficult in any environment, it becomes infinitely more difficult in a DOD environment. And so maybe it's not that we shouldn't be surprised or concerned about these problems, but it sounds like they're almost to be expected. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, yeah,
2: I, I've dealt with DOD for many, many years. It's a, it's a big, it is the biggest organization, right? And, you know, human beings can only understand and comprehend uh, a certain span of uh, control and, 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 and have certain competencies. Th- th- this is very, very difficult. Multiple agencies, multiple competing themes, multiple uh, competing uh, requirements. Um, and it just, you know, these things just take longer. Everything takes longer in DOD. You should not be surprised that cloud migration uh, is not one of them, it
0: just simply is. What do we take away from that idea then and apply to JEDI as we learn that they're considering at least the possibility of ditching it and starting over to some degree?
2: Yeah, I I find that very alerting, uh, alarming. I'm not wild about that idea. I, I mean, I think they have to press on Starting over again, without correcting both the political and technical problems of the initial Jedi, I think that's a big issue. I I would rather them press on and frankly focus on what the specific contractual issues were uh, that need to be addressed. Uh, I'm not wild about the idea of starting over.
0: From a security perspective, what can they do that they're not doing or what should they stop doing that they're doing? Uh, or is it really back to the complexity issue that we discussed earlier? Is this just hard and they have to keep plowing through?
2: Part of the complexity issue in DOD speak is measuring security. DOD wraps themselves around, uh, they they get themselves all wrapped up in this notion of how to measure security, whether you're doing it right, what level of testing. Here comes this new organization, not new organization, but the recent organization, so now you have to have uh, survivability testing and 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 uh, threat-based penetration testing you know th- this this just adds to the complexity uh, you know my suggestion is you know they go back to the basics they measure it across what we've traditionally used as cyber hygiene cyber uh, security standards which NIST has published um, and and just go at that um, and use those as a way of measuring cloud security but you know they they just seem to not want they, they Consist- consistently
0: snatch um, defeat out of the jaws of victory here. Um, the problems that are outlined in this work for the Joint Regional Security Stacks are not new. ot and saying again, you should look for alternatives. That's a big deal, isn't it? Is, I mean, they've invested a lot of time and a lot of effort into JRSS, and for ot and to continually say now, um, you got you should find something else. That sounds like a really bad situation.
2: Yeah, and again, it's the complexity issue all over again, right? You know, this is exactly what happens. You know, They, they chose a uh, very much Pentagon-designed uh, system that was providing services to a local command or, or local support organization in Washington in the Pentagon and tried to extrapolate that and apply it to the regional and specifically military uh, combatant commands as, as a solution. Again, you know, it's it's a failure of not understanding the requirements. It's a failure of not understanding the complexity. Um, and frankly, I you know, the, another problem is they they chose bad tech or I think the wrong technology. You know, they're basing the whole thing on MPLS. Frankly, MPLS is not the future. Uh, but this is part of the problem. When You have complexity. It takes longer when in dealing with technology. Taking longer means you're going to probably end up with old, you know, and dated technology. Um, this is one where I I might
0: agree with them that they might want to look at starting this all over again. Bob, thanks very much for coming on. Great to have you as always. Sure. Thank you. Up next, the innovation fight against COVID-19. Straight ahead on Government Matters, technology breakthroughs, and how the VA will use them. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Welcome back to department, Uh, the Veterans Health Administration's innovation ecosystem will show off some new creations to support frontline workers during the pandemic response. Nine innovation teams will participate in a maker pitch challenge and compete for investments. Danielle Krakora is Entrepreneur-in-Residence, Veterans Health Administration Innovation Ecosystem, and Product Manager at the VA Office of Information and Technology. Hunter Futo is Product Designer and Engineering Researcher. Her team won last year's challenge with a reusable N95 respirator. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for coming on. Danielle, I start with you. What what are you doing this year, maybe differently than last year as a result of the virus or something else? What's new in this uh, competition?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to understand what's new, you sort of have to understand where we came from briefly. Uh, Last year when the pandemic hit, we committed to hosting five uh, virtual challenge competitions. And what we were really trying to do was create solutions quickly to help frontline essential workers that were fighting on uh, the, you know, helping people on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the response was overwhelming. We had so many amazing, talented folks come together and build 56 solutions actually, 56 amazing physical prototype solutions. And since then, the VA has invested heavily in 11 of them uh, and they're piloted at sites all across our enterprise. So what we're doing this year is we're really finding opportunities to connect those teams with resources, whether they're financial or otherwise to take their products to the next level help them cross the finish line and get into the hands of the people that need them most because they're still relevant. We're still fighting the pandemic.
0: Hunter, what happened after you and your colleagues won the competition last year? What was the process to get to where you are a year later?
4: Oh my gosh. It's, it's been a lot of work. Um, I've, um, this is the, this is the mask that I designed. So I've been wearing it daily since last spring. Um, I have a pilot program with about 20 user testers uh, and counting that have signed up, uh, to provide feedback. And I've been revising the design. Um, they work in EMS, uh, healthcare, uh, frontline workers and in, in industry. So, um, I've been, I've been revising, uh, revising the design and, and getting it as, uh, close to perfect as possible. And, um, uh, yeah.
0: From a business perspective, what has being involved in this uh, this ecosystem meant to you?
4: Um, it's been huge. I, um, I, both VHA Innovation and Challenge America have done a, a great job in generating interest in the project and helping it move further along. Um, obviously, having their name um, behind me makes it a lot easier to approach, um, you know, universities and institutions um, in helping me uh, continue my research um, and then vendors as well. So um, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm at the stage now where um, I'm ready to seek funding um, and begin manufacturing.
0: Danielle, from a, a business perspective on your part, do you have a sense or any data that indicates that where you would have be, where you would be in a traditional procurement cycle versus the investments that you've made in in the uh, innovations that you've seen in this challenge?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I don't have. Uh concrete data but certainly anecdotal and the the accelerated pathway that we've been able to achieve for these these teams these products is is nothing short that amazing (laughs) in the federal government stuff moves very slow uh especially at va and we want to we want to do that intentionally because we don't want to expose our employees our veterans to things that might harm them but uh, we've been able to cultivate these amazing partnerships with organizations like america makes the fda uh, NIH and, and other partners to really fully test and validate these solutions and make sure that they're really truly bringing value. And we were able to do that within our ecosystem and then test them throughout our vast VA network. We have 170 medical centers and roughly 1300 sites of care around the world. So we're really a, a great hotbed to be able to accelerate this innovation quickly. And now we're we're at the point where we can tap into our rich network of, of investors, VCs, incubators, accelerators, and really partner these, these companies, these teams up with the right people to commercialize their, their ideas, because now we've had the opportunity to fully test them.
0: Um, plug your event, Danielle, so that people uh, can f- learn more about it and, and follow along. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we're uh, hosting our sixth event, which is kind of like a shark tank event, uh, this Sunday, February 21st, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe that we're going to follow up with the link. It's kind of jarbled for me to read out here, but we'll follow up with that link. You can also find it on Challenge America's website. Challenge America is our amazing friend and nonprofit partner. They're a great veteran nonprofit out of Colorado. Check them out and all the amazing work that they do as well. But uh, you'll find all that information there.
0: Yeah, we'll put a link to it at govmatters.tv resources right. also, Danielle. What will people see, though, when they come in and, and, and look at this?
3: Yeah, yeah. So the event is live. And uh, we, like Hunter said, we selected nine teams. Hunter is one of them. And they're going to present for three minutes um, what their, their latest advancements are on their prototype and what they're looking for in terms of investment. And then the audience, it can be people that are just interested and want to see what we've been up to, um, but we're also trying to pepper the audience with folks that can actually invest and are interested in our products and designs. Uh, so we've, we've went to great lengths to try to recruit the right people to have them in the room. So we've got some folks from uh, Google and uh, Decode and all kinds of other great uh, organizations out there. So then uh, there'll be time for uh, questions with the teams and then private sessions with each of the teams as well that can be scheduled. And you could ask more questions and hopefully schedule some follow-ups.
0: Danielle, thanks very much for coming on. Hunter, congratulations, you. appreciate your time. Thank you. You can read more about the innovation ecosystem VA govmatters.tv slash resources. And if you missed any of our programs, They're on our website, too. You get a preview of every newscast when you sign up for our daily program guide. Just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. the latest from washington join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on wjla 24 7 news and sunday mornings at ten thirty on abc 7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government thanks for watching i'm francis rose thanks for listening our daily program is produced by sharice hanner and ashley gallagher christy marriott leads our technical crew our web editor is beatrix Haddon.